Morning. Um, today's reading is from Matthew 21, verse 12 to 17. That's Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 to 17. Okay. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out to the city, went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you this morning, those of you in here and those joining us online. I wonder, when was the last time that you were aware that something really mattered to you? Maybe it's at the moment you're in the middle of a really important project at work, you know it's going to do real good for your organisation, or maybe the last thing that you were aware really mattered to you was an important conversation with a family member or a friend. Some of us are people pleasers and we try to go through life uh, trying not to make any disturbance. You know, we accommodate the strong ones, we anticipate the reaction of the prickly ones, we read the room and we uh, keep the peace, uh, we uh, avoid conflict. Who are my fellow conflict avoiders in the room or watching online? Yeah, I, I see you, I see you. Uh, but even for us, there are things that really matter. <laughs> matter enough to cause us um, to forego the sort of lack of awkwardness, to cause a bit of a scene, to disturb the peace. I used to be a high school teacher, which I think is part of why I was a bit hesitant to do what I did a few weeks ago. I arranged a meeting with one of our kids' teachers to talk about something I wasn't very happy about. Experience has taught me that when it comes to their kids, parents can be a bit biased. And um, I didn't want to be naive to that. Um, but there are some things in life that matter to us that we are moved, sometimes quite literally moved to action. And in this passage that was just read to us from Matthew's Gospel, we see what mattered to Jesus. There are lots of passages in the Bible that show us what Jesus cared about, where we see what mattered to him. But here are Jesus's actions that make a particular statement. And he's stating a few things. He's stating in this moment in the temple as he upends the table that a new day of worship has come in and through him. And he's stating God's judgment on that which is out of line with the good and perfect rule and reign of God's kingdom. But we're looking at this passage in Matthew 21 through a particular lens today as we're carrying on this series looking at Jesus and what we might at first think are these kind of paradoxes. We've been looking at Jesus's strength and weakness, looking at Jesus as someone who redefines failure and success, as Jesus as someone who's challenging and completely kind. And today we're looking at Jesus as passionate, and peaceful. 
Jesus is passionate and peaceful. Jesus didn't do superficial smoothing over of things. Jesus wasn't a people pleaser. He wasn't afraid to speak truth to power. And yet he was a bringer of peace in situation after situation, offering forgiveness, extending healing wherever he went, bringing peace. When he sends out the 72, those people who are gonna go with this message of God's goodness and his kingdom, we can read about it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. He instructs them specifically to share peace with the villages and towns that they go to. Jesus is passionate and peaceful. And the first thing that we see in our passage this morning is that Jesus is passionate and compassionate. So imagine the scene with me for a moment here in Matthew 21. Jesus goes into the temple. That's the place where God's people gathered as a community to worship. That's where they'd come and they bring that offering. That's why the animals are there. They're named in the passage and they bring their uh, Roman coinage to be exchanged for temple coinage. That's the money tables that are mentioned. And Jesus has just come into the temple. The crowds have been worshiping. realizing who he is, shouting Hosanna, God saves. Here is Jesus coming into the temple. And it's the place where he's found as a 12-year-old boy teaching truths about who God is. And he goes into that place and overgo the tables and the chairs and the money hits the deck. We read in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and brought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Here we see Jesus move to action. His passion moves him to action. Jesus here is turning things upside down in order to turn them the right way up. That's what Jesus is committed to in our lives and in our world, the turning of things the right way up. He upends the tables here so that the fullness of God's kingdom, his glory, his goodness, true worship can be experienced and known. He upends the tables as a statement that any injustice that is going on in the money lenders, that that was not okay. And he upends the tables to say that any kind of thinking in temple system that was going to be about a revolution and overcoming the Roman Empire by brute force, well, that was not okay. But he mainly overturns these tables to make a statement as he temporarily halts the sacrificial system. As it's all over the floor there, no one for a moment can bring any sacrificial offerings, what they would do to know access with the glorious presence of God. And in that moment, Jesus is saying, look, a new day has dawned in me. I'm the sacrificial lamb. You come through me, access to the Father who loves you, the fullness of the presence of God. And so here Jesus is turning things upside down to turn them the right way up. You know, Jesus doesn't meet with us this morning as someone who's like not all that bothered, who kind of shrugs his shoulders, is impassive, cold, nothing really matters. And that's a good thing because here is God in a person, God in the flesh, And he cares, he cares. We don't worship a stone cold stoic or a zoned out Zen. Our God is dedicated to things being as they should be. His heart's broken when they're not. He is stirred by injustice. He is moved with compassion. He judges when the 
glory and goodness of God is grieved. And Jesus is the perfect sinless son of God. And so we're to understand this moment as a demonstration of his perfect passion for the glory of God and of his compassion to others. We see that in our passage. Have a look in verse 14 where we read that the blind and the lame, they came to him in this moment. Just after he's overturned the tables, they came to him and he heals them. Time and time again throughout the Gospels, we see that there are these moments in the text where just before Jesus does something, it says that Jesus is stirred with compassion. Before he feeds that hungry crowd in Matthew 14, the text says that he's moved with compassion. Just before our passage here in Matthew 21, two blind men come to him and the text says that Jesus is moved with compassion and he reaches out and touches them. It must have been the most beautiful thing to spend time with someone as passionately compassionate as Jesus. You know, in the original language, that word compassion that's used to describe Jesus just before he heals, just before he acts, that word in the original language means like a stirring in your guts. I love that. Jesus feels it so deeply. He's stirred with compassion. I wonder, have you ever had that experience? I love that about Jesus. I don't want a God who isn't bothered or a God who remains detached. I don't want a stone-cold stoic or a zoned-out zen. No, Jesus is passionate. He is compassionate. When I was six, I was on holiday with my family and you could go pony trekking where you have a little ride around on a horse. Um, I'd never done this before. I was soon to learn I would never do this again. <laughs> and I, was, I convinced my parents to pay the cash that I could join around seven other kids on the backs of these little uh, ponies. There was an instructor who was going to take us through the stables and into an open field and it was all going really well it was wonderful little six-year-old Laura was loving this moment and my dad was just a couple of feet away and then I don't know what happened something must have frightened this horse I was on and all of a sudden this horse is cantering down the stables right toward this open field at a fast pace with me clinging onto the reins crying out uh, not much of that had passed before my dad is also running running after us and the instructor who's the professional here is shouting after my dad stop you'll just make it worse you'll make the pony go faster but my dad was not going to take that risk <laughs> and my dad's pretty fast <laughs> little did he know all of his medals in athletics in high school and university were actually all just for this moment in his life <laughs> He's actually still pretty fast. I'd, I'd probably still back him to outrun that pony. Um, eventually, my, uh, my dad reaches me on this horse in this field now. He grabs a hold of the reins and he takes a hold of me and everything is okay. Passion and commitment, dedication can be very right. It can be a very beautiful thing. And there's a passion at work in this world in the love of God our Father that is beautifully dedicated and relentlessly committed to you, like a chasing after us. And there's a passion at work in this world, a commitment of God to the, his glory, 
to the fulfillment of his good, perfect kingdom. A call to true worship, that's what's going on here in Matthew 21. So passionate dedication to us and to the glory of God. And you see those two things hold together. For when the glory of God is honored and known in our lives and in our world, then our lives are most as they should be. Eugene Peterson, the American pastor and theologian who wrote the message version of the Bible, I guess he must have preached thousands of sermons. In his funeral in 2018, his son Leif said, my dad only really had one sermon. It's a little harsh, but he was saying that for 30 years, he tricked his congregation, uh, convincing them each week that he was giving them something new. And his son said in his funeral, I actually uh, knew his secret because it was a message that I had heard for 50 years. And he carried on speaking, now directing his words in the funeral to his dad. And he said this, for years, dad, you'd steal into my room at night and whisper softly to my sleeping head. It's the same message over and over. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. Even the best of dads, the best of parents won't have loved us with perfect commitment. And some perhaps have never known a love, anything like that. But in Jesus, the revelation to us of the love of God the Father, we see a passion that heals us, a passion that reaches us when we're off down side alleys and we're confused and it's all open fields. We see a passion and a dedication and a commitment that shows us that we are seen, that we are loved, that we are held, that we are chased after. I wonder, have you known that enduring, endless love of God. Whatever dead end, whatever alley you find yourself, whatever danger or threat you are even in this morning, look behind you, look to your shoulder. Your Father's love is there for you. And so we see in this passage, firstly then, Jesus is passionate and he's compassionate. And secondly, we see that Jesus is rooted and rested in the peace of God. These two sides, passion and peace. Jesus isn't a stone cold stoic. There's this action, there's this passion here and it's communicating something. But we also see in Matthew 21, Jesus' priority for retreating and how he would often in his ministry withdraw in solitude, withdraw to pray, withdraw from the crowd. And we see that in verse 17 of Matthew 21 where we read, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. He left, he left the hype. He went out of the city where it had all just gone down and he goes to Bethany. Interestingly, that's the house of his friends, his three friends, that's where they were, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. How interesting that part of Jesus's rooting and resting his peace is knowing that kind of deep companionship and friendship. And Jesus has that pattern of rooting himself throughout his ministry in the peace of God. Where do we see him do this? Well, he does it before big decisions. We read in Luke 6 that before he calls his 12 closest followers, his 12 disciples, he spends the whole night in prayer. We see this when Jesus experiences grief and loss. When he hears the news in Matthew 14 that his cousin John the Baptist has died, he retreats. We read that he steals away, that he goes. Often Jesus is seen to be going up a mountain to pray, to seek the Father, to root 
and rest himself in the peace of God. You see, that is where Jesus is coming from. Into these moments of passion and action and compassion and living out the purposes of God, he comes from a place of peace, of resting in the presence of God, and that's what he wants to establish for us. Because you see, for us to live in the purposes of God, as Jesus fully did, then we need both passionate action and prayerful contemplation. Because we can, can't we, have both a right and a wrong passion. It's interesting that in our passage this morning, Jesus' passionate action is directly contrasted with the indignation, the passion, the riledness, the riling of the chief priests and the scribes, those leaders within the temple. Have a look in verse 15, where we see that the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. And what does it say? It says that they were indignant. They're annoyed. They're angry. And the text tells us that two things tick them off. The wonderful things Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple. They are not on board with Jesus's priority for humility That in Jesus' ministry, it would actually often be, as Jesus would say, not the great and mighty that would see who he is, but the humble, the children, and adding a little extra passion to what he's saying, Jesus directly quotes from the Old Testament scripture that these chief priests and scribes should have known, quoting from Psalm 8 here in our passage, saying, out of the mouths of infants and children, God has ordained praise. But I also think what's going on here for these chief priests and scribes is that they are just a bit jealous of Jesus. The text says they didn't like the wonderful things that he did. How often in our lives can our indignation or our passion actually just be a form of envy or because we feel insecure? Jesus didn't massage their egos here and irritatingly at times he won't massage ours. And so how do you know if your passions are misplaced? How do you know if you're in a right kind of passion or a wrong kind of passion? Well, the question is, are you rooted? Are you rested in the peace of God? You know, we might feel like something really matters and we really have to speak up and the moment is really now, but our passions can be led by all sorts of things. By fear, that can be a big one by aspiration, to get ahead, a striving, maybe by embarrassment. But the question to us is, is our feeling rooted in the foundation of the peace of God? And for our passions to be ordered rightly, we have to seek those moments of retreat, of prayer, so we're more aware of the empowering presence and the peace that the Holy Spirit brings. You know those big feels we have? We've got to weigh them and pray them. Blaise Pascal said that all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. That sounds wonderful to me. (laughs) Actually, this summer, I felt like I rediscovered a kind of fresh love for prayer. It wasn't that I had stopped praying, but I read a couple of books on prayer in the summer, and Owen, my husband, and I, we were reassessing our patterns of prayer at home, and actually a lot of this came out of some hard stuff that happened in the summer where prayer, retreating, 
being in the presence of God, rooting and rested in his peace as Jesus does here in our passage, that was just a lifeline for me. In August, a very close friend of mine died. And then another very close friend received a diagnosis. And I remember saying to my husband, Owen, one day, how do we do all of this without prayer? Let's not. And we're all finding ourselves, I'm sure, as we watch the news and we see our war-torn world stirred to pray. God, would you move? Would you bring your peace? How we need you, Lord. But you know, October is like racing away for me. And I can so quickly pivot into such a fast-paced life. You know, we prize ourselves, don't we? Living in like a fast-paced life. So I don't know what it is for you, but maybe it's that we're dropping the kids off to school whilst firing off a few emails on our phone, looking up occasionally to test them on on their spellings. And then we're dressed in our gym gear because we're headed to a class at 9 a.m. Before that, though, we've got to drop off a parcel at the post office and uh, we're going to join a call whilst we're driving with work on our hands free. (laughs) Living that kind of fast-paced life. I actually feel like the end of this passage It's speaking directly to me. Leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany. Because you know, the distance from the city to Bethany is actually exactly the same distance from the city here to where we live in Headington. And so I'm asking myself, and I wonder, what about you this morning? What places in our lives, and what people too, like for Jesus here in Bethany, what places and what people give us the margin in our lives that we need so that we can be those who don't just overreact or or not even those who just act but those who act in the empowering presence and peace of God in our lives where we're operating out of that place of being rooted and rested in his peace. What does a life like that look like? I think of my friend She, many years ago, studied social work at Brooks here, in the university here, and she had this passion for young people, especially those perhaps who the education system wasn't working for, maybe also for young offenders, and uh, she actually was made redundant in 2011, and in that moment she realised that the funding for the people she was working with, these young people, was going to be cut as her job was cut. And so with another guy in the city, someone part of another local church here, I remember them coming to me and praying with me because they had this idea. Why not start up a charity that can reach out to these people in Oxfordshire and now today, their dedication, their commitment, their passion has meant that 3,500 young people and their families and professionals, teaching professionals in schools, have had the benefit and support of the work that they do. See, that's a kind of passion rooted in the peace, rested in the peace of God. I think of my friend Marina, a musician in Ukraine. She spent a lot of the last couple of years meeting in in rooms without electricity with other Christians, gathering to pray, gathering to root herself in the peace of God. And actually in 2014, the beginnings of this war were starting to break out. She took her violin a professional musician, to play to soldiers on the front line, to play there and to take with her gospels about Jesus. 
so that through the beauty of her playing, she might have the opportunity to speak of hope in him. A passion, a gifting, rooted and established in the peace of God. You know, as I was praying for us this morning, I had this sense from the Lord that there might be those of us who need that renewed sense of God's vocation. A passion perhaps he's placed in your life, something he's called you to, something to be committed to, a a, a calling, a gifting that maybe today by the work of his spirit he wants to renew in you. And so we see then that Jesus is passionate and compassionate, that he has this practice of being rooted and established in the peace of God. And then finally, we see here that Jesus's passion is our peace. In verse 13, Jesus says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He's quoting there from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And for the Old Testament people of God, the temple was this place of prayer. This temple was this place of heaven meeting earth where they could come into the presence of God. And they would come with their hearts and their lives and their offerings and their sacrifices and encounter the peace and the presence of God. In John's account of this moment where Jesus goes into the temple and overturns the tables, we read this. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken, here's their indignation, uh, 46 years to build this temple and you are gonna raise it in three days? And then verse 21 says, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. Matthew here, in his account, puts this moment just days before Jesus would go to the cross, where his body would be given for us and then would be raised three days later. And Jesus in this moment is saying that he, he is the new location of the very presence of God. He's the temple in him. He's this epicenter of heaven and earth and he is the sacrificial lamb. You see, there would, after this moment in Matthew's gospel, in just a few days' time, be something that Jesus goes through that, interestingly, we actually call his passion, his death, the passion of Christ, his suffering, uh, from that Latin word to suffer, his passion. And so as Jesus, in his passion, as he dies for us, offering us forgiveness, taking us in to the very presence and life and fullness and glory of God as we take a hold of his hand. We are welcomed into everlasting peace because Jesus' passion is for our peace, that ultimate peace, that peace of knowing forgiveness, that peace of knowing our purpose, that peace of knowing we are loved, that peace, come what may, in our lives this morning. He is with us. He is for us. He is chasing after us. He is with us by his spirit. Paul, St. Paul in the New Testament writing to the church in Ephesus says this in Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, and actually Mark mentioned this just a moment ago, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our Peace. Jesus' passion is for our peace, peace with God and peace with others. 
When I was uh, 25 and I was working here as the pastor to undergrads, um, I one evening drove to Cardiff, where um, the area where I'd lived since I was seven, uh, to be with my parents who were contemplating because they felt God had called them a move to England, which felt very courageous not because it was England. <laughs> That's not a slight on the English. <laughs> they felt this call from God to go there and um, to lead a church there. And I remember we'd been chatting it through and we were sat in the living room. And I remember my dad praying. And he prayed that God would give them wisdom, that God would guide them, that God would speak through other people to them. And then he prayed that they would know God's peace. And then he prayed, echoing words that he'd heard from others. Lord, we know that peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. If we live like Jesus, lives of passion, we are not guaranteed ease. In fact, sometimes it can be because we work with him in our calling and our gifting to build his kingdom that we're actually more aware of the challenges in this world, more aware of the threats but in and through it all, Christ, who is our peace, is with us. And one day when we see him face to face, he will overturn all the tables of evil and all that stops us fully knowing him. And we will be with him in the place where everything is as it should be, where all is turned up the right way. And so where this morning is your peace, perhaps a bit timid or loveless, and where is your passion misplaced? Get a glimpse of the fierce passion of God burning against everything that inhabits us, knowing his peace. Because of his passion, you can know peace. And as we receive that peace, would we be those who follow him? The passionate, peaceful God, the one who cares, the one who steps in. As we receive his peace, let us follow him, knowing that there are things that really matter, that there are things worth sacrificing our comfort for, worth speaking up for, worth living our lives for, worth working with him to turn things the right way up. For he is with us, the passionate, peaceful God. Amen.